Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Every October, the Seton Shrine hosts a powerful faith drama called Back from the Dead. In these cemetery walks, you will encounter saints who come back to life with life-saving messages. Learn more at satanshrine.org. Now here's Father Ted. For the last several weeks in the Sunday Gospels, we've seen our Lord striking out against or attempting to critique the religious leaders of his day. And so over the last several weeks, we've seen him, told, we've seen him tell a number of different parallels, all of which in, certain, in a certain way indict these Orthodox Jewish leaders of his day. So he told us the parable about the two sons, where the leaders of the Jews, there are, they are represented there as the son who did not do the will of the father. And then he tells the parable about the wicked tenants. And in that parable, the Jewish leaders are the wicked tenants. And then he tells the story about the king's feast and how he held a banquet for his son's marriage. And in that parable, the Jewish leaders are represented by the guests that are eventually condemned and killed. And so this week, we see the Jews trying to get back at him. We see them on the counterattack. We see them trying to catch Jesus in a kind of verbal trap. So they ask Jesus a question in front of the crowd, hoping to discredit him. It's an account that we all probably heard well a number of times before. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And when we look at the historical context, we know it's a very real dilemma. You know, if our Lord said you should not pay the, the, the census tax, he is going to be setting himself up as this uh, seditious person who the Jewish authorities could report to the Romans and then the Romans would then arrest him because he's telling the Jews not to follow the Roman laws. But if he had said that they should pay the census tax, he would be ostracizing a large group of his followers who thought that it was wrong to do so, even sinful to pay the census tax to the Romans. Now, we all know how Jesus deftly eludes this perfect, the seemingly perfect catch-22. He asks for that Roman coin, the denarius, that has on the face of it the, the image of Caesar's face. And in that day and age, in the ancient times, uh, the new leader would always stamp a new coin with his image on it. And in a sense, there was this notion that the coins with the image of the leader belonged to the leader. So this coin had Caesar's image on it, therefore it was Caesar's coin, therefore you guys should give it back to Caesar. And at the same time, give to God what belongs to God. You know, it's one of those brilliant one-liners. We love one-liners. It's something that's just part of our DNA almost. Winston Churchill was very good at these comebacks, at these one-liner comebacks. So one time there was, uh, he was having a meal, you know, an official state meal, and there was a woman seated next to him, and she was uh, talking very profusely, we can say, going on and on. And Winston Churchill wasn't exactly being the most social there. He found this particular person to be a little bit disturbing, annoying. And then she eventually caught on, and she got a little frustrated with him. And so she told him, you know, if I was your wife, I would put poison in your tea. And Winston Churchill said, ma'am, 
If I was your husband, I would drink that tea. But along with having like a good comeback here, our Lord is also trying to teach us a very important lesson about our dual citizenship. Many of his contemporaries thought you can't serve two leaders. You can't both serve Caesar and Yahweh. They thought it was an either-or conundrum. you got to pick. Jesus comes back and says it's a both-and. You can and should be serving both Caesar and God. We have a responsibility in, to the social order. We can call that the horizontal plane. Obligations to our country, our nation, our state. And we also have obligations to God, the vertical plane, to the Lord Almighty. So with each of these citizenships, the fact that we belong to a nation here on this earth, we belong to a country, we are citizens of a particular government, and we are also citizens of heaven, both of those citizenships carries with it a number of rights as well as responsibilities. And so, as citizens of heaven, Mother Seton thought that the greatest right that we enjoyed as citizens of heaven, as members of the church, was the right to the sacraments, the right to receive the sacraments of the church. So she was one time lamenting about one of her Protestant friends who was passing away, and she didn't have the opportunity to confess her sins on her deathbed. She didn't have the opportunity to receive anointing of the sick. She didn't have the opportunity to receive viaticum, the Holy Eucharist. And so Mother Seton wrote, When I see these poor souls die without sacraments, without the divine consolations, which our Almighty God has so mercifully provided for us, I feel then, while my heart is filled with sorrow for them, as if my joy is too great to be expressed at the idea of the different prospect I have before me in the hour of death. So she was overwhelmed with sorrow for those who were dying without the sacraments, at the same time ecstatic at the prospect that she was going to, on her deathbed, receive our Lord himself through these sacraments. And the greatest of all the sacraments was obviously for her the Eucharist. She called it the best of all gifts, and she wrote to her um, spiritual sister, Rebecca Seton, how happy she would be, how happy everybody would be, if everybody believed that Jesus was in the Eucharist as Catholics do. But as citizens of heaven, we've got these rights, and there are other rights as well, but we've also got certain responsibilities as citizens of heaven. And generically, our Lord summed them up in today's gospel when he said, Give unto God what is God's. So just as the Roman coin bore the image of Caesar upon it, and therefore it belonged to Caesar, so too each and every single one of us who have a human soul, we have been stamped with the image and likeness of God. And therefore, we belong to God. And so giving back to God what belongs to God doesn't mean, okay, well, God gave me um, you know, this, these particular things, a good job, or he gave me maybe some health, and so I'm going to give back the stuff that I have. Giving back to God means giving everything we are. So it, it's made up of parts, you know, everything that makes up our being. So you've got your time, you've got your talent, you've got your resources, you've got your health, you've got all these different things at your disposal that are ways of giving yourself back to God. Or like Pope Francis said, rendering to God means being docile to his will, devoting our lives to him, and working for his kingdom. 
And one specific way we can do this, so that's kind of a generic, okay, it's a responsibility that everybody's got to do, but one specific way of doing that that's worth mentioning today because it is World Mission Sunday is the obligation that we baptized people have to contribute to the evangelization effort. All the faithful are called to participate in the church's missionary activity. That is, all the laity too are missionaries by the very fact that they are baptized. And Pope John Paul II in his encyclical on the mission, he gave a few different ways that can actually happen. So he talks about certain people are called to dedicate themselves to that in a very unique and magnanimous way. God calls some people to actually leave their homelands, to go abroad, to go to other countries, maybe to go to different parts of their own country to work for the evangelization. That kind of work, he said, holds the pride of place. How, others, however, are called to cooperate in the missionary work in different ways. So you got some people, uh, through their prayers, through their sacrifices, and through their holiness of life, they are contributing to the missionary effort, especially the sick who offer up their sufferings, the Holy Father said. Along with that, encouraging missionary vocations. And finally, material and financial support, the Holy Father said, are indispensable in building up the body of Christ. So that's the, the rights, those are the rights and the responsibilities of the spiritual order, we can say, the vertical citizenship that we hold. Horizontal plane as well holds with it, brings with it certain rights and responsibilities. Now in America, we love talking about our rights. It's something which is just imbued into us from our earliest days. We got all kinds of rights. We got the right to free speech, the right to press, the right to bear arms, the right to vote in an election, the right to do, to worship, freedom to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, you know. We love rights, we love talking about rights, we love defending our rights, and that's good. The Catechism of the Catholic Church confirms we got many rights, all people do, and the civil government must, must respect them. The right to private property, for example, the right to vote, the right of parents to educate their children, and this is interesting considering certain debates that are taking place now in government circles, the Catechism says the parents have the right to choose their children's school and also the right to associate uh, citizens with each other, to form associations. So those are the rights that we enjoy as citizens of the world, we can say citizens of the earthly realm, but we've also got responsibilities. We've also got stuff that we've got to do. So it's not just a question about what our country can do for me. It's also a matter of what I should and can be doing for my country and the world. So the Catechism talks about different ways in which we go about contributing to the civil order, which is an obligation. Love and service towards, one country, towards one's country. We have the moral obligation to pay taxes. We need to defend the homeland. We have to be obedient to civil authorities. And so in all these different ways we build up society. Now, one interesting one that actually comes up as well uh, in the Catechism that I think we'll argue, we will all find a little bit more agreeable and natural is the right, and at times the duty, to voice our just criticisms. The right and the duty at times to voice our just criticisms. 
of that which seems harmful to the dignity of persons and to the good of the community. So we're supposed to complain at times. Especially when we're dealing about something which is offensive to human dignity. Now, of all the things which are happening in our society that are offensive to human dignity, there is none which is greater than the scourge of abortion. Picture this. It is the 1860 elections. There are four candidates up for election. Three of them say that slavery shouldn't be legal in the new states that are being established in the West. One of them, the fourth one, Abraham Lincoln, says that there should not be slavery in those states. Whom do you vote for? I bet that everybody here would vote for Abraham Lincoln, especially hindsight being 2020. Does that make us naive, single-issue voters? Because we hold it to be so important that it is going to decide our vote. There were other issues at the time. There was poverty. There was tariffs. There were women's rights. There was secession. And yet, out of all of them, slavery was the preeminent issue far more important. It was the far most important social issue of that time. Back then, abortion was not the biggest issue. It was illegal, it was rare, it was condemned by the American Medical Association. But 4 million Americans, 13% of the population in 1860 were enslaved. Now today, thankfully, the situation is very different. Slavery is illegal, but abortion is legal. And in this country alone, in one nation, and there's hundreds of nations in the world, in this nation alone, it kills, kills 850,000 babies every year. 10% of them after the first trimester. And most people today think that they would oppose slavery in the 19th century. But if we fast forward to the 21st century, we ignore, or we, many people will consider other issues to be of greater importance. Other issues which, they're significant, they're, they're a big deal. The environment, immigration, the economy. But these are not the preeminent issues. Abortion is the slavery issue of our time. It is the preeminent issue. And the officials we elect in November can do one of two things. They will either fund facilitate, defend abortion, even enshrine it in law, they say, or they will work to overturn it, appoint judges who will minimize it and defund it. As Martin Luther King Jr. once said, laws may not change hearts, but they will restrain the heartless. So let's not let our votes in November contribute to the preeminent social issue of our days, the scourge of abortion. And let's ask the Blessed Virgin Mary, the mother of all the living, to help us build up a culture that celebrates all life.